0: Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So we're in 2 Timothy, and we're in the fourth chapter. We Just uh, last week we had our church camp out, and uh, at the campground there at Chester Woods we did the first half of the chapter. So if you weren't there and you missed it, you missed it because <laughs> we didn't record it. So you'll have to read it yourself. Um, but we're going to pick it up at verse 9. But just to give you a little bit of a background in case, uh, for those of you that haven't been in our study uh, as we've been going through the book of Second Timothy, um, this is Paul's letter to Timothy, a younger man who's in Ephesus at the time. Timothy is in Ephesus. T- uh, Paul is actually in prison in Rome, and uh, Paul has a very strong sense that his life is soon to be over here on this earth, and that he's going to be seeing his Savior. And uh, so, you know, he knows he's an older man now. <clears throat> he's done a lot of ministry. He's seen a lot of things. He's done a lot of things. And, and he realizes that he's towards the end of his life. And so this letter that he writes to Timothy, he's just pouring out his heart to this younger Timothy. Just trying to invest as much as he can, knowing that his days are short. And so this is Paul's uh, final letter to Timothy. And as it turns out, it's Paul's final epistle because he will lose his life shortly after this, according to church tradition. And so, as we finish up this last part of this chapter it 's kind of you can break it down into a few sections. Verses nine through thirteen are some final instructions that Paul gives to Timothy. Verses fourteen through fifteen is paul 's final warning to Timothy. Verses sixteen through eighteen is some final information that Paul is giving Timothy regarding paul 's situation. Verses 19 through 21 is some final greetings. All of his epistles, you know, in those days, they ended them with greetings. And so verses 19 through 21 is some final greetings. And then finally, verse 22 is his final prayer that's recorded here. And you're saying, finally, why don't you get to it? (laughs) So verse 9, we'll start up here. Uh, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Antichicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Now, This is Paul's second imprisonment. Uh, His first imprisonment, he was under house arrest. As when they took him from Jerusalem and and he boarded a ship and they brought him there to to Jerusalem. At some point he was released from that prison or from that arrest and he did some more mission trips. Um, But something happened uh, during that time, unfortunately, Nero... uh, most historians believe that Nero burned Rome in AD 64. And to divert attention, you know, because he wanted to rebuild Rome and, and kind of be this known as this great builder. And uh, to divert attention from himself, he blamed Christians for burning Rome. And so it was not a very popular time to be a, a, Rome, a Christian in Rome at that time. And, uh, and so evidently it's quite possible as a result of that, That they rounded up Paul and uh, brought him to Rome, and uh, he was in what most people believe was the Mamertine prison. Before he was in his own house, he could receive visitors. It was, you know, it was kind of like a house arrest. This time he's in a dungeon, and he's chained there in this dungeon. And so. He's writing this to Timothy, and the reason he wants Timothy to come is because mostly he's mostly alone at this point. Only Luke is with him. You can kind of sense that. Man, only Luke's here. Luke, the beloved physician, he calls Luke, my fellow laborer. And uh, if you look at Luke, if you look, read through the book of Acts, you know, in, in uh, uh, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and it's kind of it's a narration about they're doing this, and Paul and you know Peter and John are doing this, and Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas are doing this, and it's a narration until you get to chapter sixteen. Well, it's still a narration, but at that point, it's believed that Luke joined Paul and Silas at Troas on their missionary journey because from that point on. From chapter 16 to the end of the book, instead of saying they went here, they did this, all of a sudden it changes and it says we went here. It says we and us, it's personal pronouns that are used. And so it indicates that Luke was with Paul all the way until the end of the events described in Acts. And here we see in Rome that Luke is still with Paul. In fact, he's the only one there with Paul. You can just see the faithfulness of Luke uh, you know, sticking with Paul through the, everything that Paul's gone through. And so, uh, you know, he calls Luke the beloved physician. And he says something here, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Now, Demas is mentioned a few times in scriptures as well. and in, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he and Luke greet the Colossian Christians. Uh, Demas was with Paul and during Paul's first imprisonment, actually, um, when Paul was under house arrest, when he was under house arrest, he was able to receive visitors, and it's quite possible that Demas was one of his uh, visitors at that point. In uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, he says that uh, you know Demas, among some other people, he calls them my fellow laborers, and so Demas was with Paul for for some point of time, anyways, during his ministry. But he says, uh, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. And so when you read that, you can just sense Paul's grief as he's reading that or as he's writing that. Well, the question is, did Demas abandon the faith because of his love of the world? Of course, we don't really know the answer but I think it's more likely that because of Nero's blaming Christians for setting fire to Rome, Christianity, Christianity was not only unpopular at that time, but it would very likely result in martyrdom. And so it's quite possible that Demas just wasn't ready to suffer as a martyr at that point. And so he left Paul to return to what most people think was his home in Thessalonica. Now, we could go into a big spiel about, you know, uh, Demas, you know, he's loved this world and he's left the faith and all, but, but I have to ask myself, you know, in light of all the things that are going on in other nations where Christians, and, you know, people, everybody calls themselves Christians, but over there, I, I think it's really you're either Christian or you're not, right? And, and uh, you know, in there, people are losing their lives because they're not converting to Islam. And I wonder, you know, how would we respond to a threat to losing our life for our faith. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to be hard on, on Demas, but, but how would we respond? I, I'd like to think how I would respond. You know, I've got this, this idea in my mind. This is how I, I'd, I'd stay firm. But, you know, none of us really know until, we, until it happens. And so, but there is one thing we can do. How can I prepare myself to face that kind of situation? And I think it's kind of hinted here in the Scriptures. Don't love the things of this world more than you love Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Don't be intoxicated by the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the world, the things that, you know, it's so easy to be intoxicated with the things around us that, draw, that pull at us. Don't allow those things to cloud your relationship with the Lord Jesus. And I also firmly believe the more you're in fellowship with Jesus, the more you're going to be ready, in fact, even anxious to see him face to face. And so there, there are things that we can do, I think, to, to prepare ourselves for a, a difficult time that could quite well happen here as well. Well, he mentions also that Crescens left for Galatia and Titus for Dalmatia. Now, we don't know anything more about Crescens, but we do know a lot about Titus. Titus was one of Paul's converts. He accompanied Paul on journeys. Uh, Paul left him on the island of Crete to appoint elders in the church there. In fact, that letter to Titus was uh, a result of that. Later on, Paul would send Tychicus or Artemis to relieve Titus, and and he wanted Titus to join Paul at Nicopolis. And uh, uh, at Paul's second arrest, Titus accompanied Paul to Rome with the others. Uh, But it doesn't seem like Paul is saying that Titus and Crescens abandoned him. So again, we don't know exactly what happened, but it's quite possible that they left earlier before Paul's trial when maybe Paul didn't think things were that serious. I mean, we don't know. I'm just speculating. But Titus, Paul has a lot of descriptions for him. He calls him my brother. He calls him my partner and fellow worker. He says that we walk in the same spirit. We walk in the same steps. steps. He calls him a true son in our common faith. So, you know, you see this reputation of Titus. And, and, and so it's hard to imagine that Titus would have abandoned Paul at that point. And then he says something else. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. This is John Mark. John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. It kind of seems like he might have been younger than Paul and Barnabas. And he accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But partway through that journey, he left them and went back home uh, to his home there. And uh, that was the first missionary journey. And when Paul and Barnabas came back from their missionary journey, they were, uh, I think it was in Antioch where they were, and uh, Paul said, you know what, we should go back to all those churches that we started on our first journey, we should encourage the churches. And uh, Barnabas, is, Barnabas is like, that's great. I'll pack my bags and I'll tell, uh, I'll, I'll tell uh, John Mark to go get his duffel bag and we'll get ready. And, and Paul's like, uh, no, I don't want John Mark coming with me. Because he left halfway through. I mean, he just dropped the ball and left. He he deserted us. And and Barnabas was like, no, he needs to go. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But they argued back and forth about it. And the contention became so sharp that Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Uh, Barnabas ended up taking John Mark with him on a separate missionary journey. And Paul took Silas with him. And they they just went separate ways. And so... That seemed like a very dark time or a, a low time there in their relationship. How did, how did, uh, what happened with John Mark? You know, we really don't know what happened with Paul and Barnabas. We, scriptures doesn't really tell us. But we get a clue about John Mark and Paul. In Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes this, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So, you know, John Mark made a mistake. He, 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 you know, for whatever reason, he decided he didn't want to continue with Paul and Barnabas, and he left them. And, you know, at that point, Paul could have wrote him off and said, forget about him. Well, apparently, they got back together. They were ministering alongside each other. And Mark proved to be a comfort to Paul. Well, you know, I know myself. You know, having failed sometimes, and maybe you have too. Sometimes you carry that with you, you know. It's always a reminder of how you failed and how you how you let someone down or something and or you know, how you were given this great responsibility and you blew it. And and I wonder if Mark maybe still had that lingering thought, you know, like, man, I, I failed. I failed Paul. And it's interesting, you know, Paul senses that his life's drawing to a close. And he writes to, to Timothy to send Mark. He says, "Man, Mark's useful to Paul. He's useful to me. Paul needed Mark's ministry. And you know, I, I think of that. And I think this is an older gentleman. What a gracious way to communicate to Paul to Mark. Mark, it's okay. You're, I, I love you. You're going to be all right. You're going to do well. I, I have. I, you're going to go. You're going to be good. You know, love hopes all things. Love believes all things." And so I just think this is a, a really a gracious way for Paul to communicate to Mark that he wasn't hanging on to past hurts and disappointments just trying to encourage Mark as a younger man there. He says in Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Tychicus is described in the Bible by Paul as a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. There's a lot of good things about Tychicus. And then Paul gives this last instruction to uh, Timothy. He says, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Now, it's quite possible that Paul was staying in the home of Carpus and Troas at the time of his arrest. And if that's the case, it could have been such a sudden arrest, maybe it happened at night, who knows, that Paul didn't have time to grab his cloak or his books or his parchments. <laughs> wouldn 't it be nice to know what his parchments were that he's referring to again we don 't really know it could be uh, a Hebrew Bible. It could have been copies of his epistles that he wrote. maybe he even had some copies of the lord 's teachings with him you know there's a collection of stuff that Paul would use to to encourage himself and to maybe take notes and and you know to use for ministry now. I mentioned earlier that most people believe Paul was in the Mamertine prison, which was a cold dungeon. And his imprisonment probably was either in summer or fall, because based on verse 21, he says, Come quickly before winter. So Paul probably had a sense, man, cold weather setting in, I don't have my cloak with me. And so, you know, he probably wanted that cloak to keep warm in that prison cell. And, of course, then he probably also wanted those books and parchments to be encouraged. Because Paul wrote to Timothy in in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 13, 13, he says, "...till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine." Paul knew the importance of reading the Scriptures, of being fed the Scriptures. And for whatever reason, he didn't have them with him. And so he says, Timothy, bring especially the parchments. Bring my books, but especially the parchments. And so, you know, Paul himself knew the, the value of reading Scriptures. I hope, I hope we, you know, we have these Bibles with us and, and someday, you know, people could threaten to take them away from us. And so, you know, we want to just be fed the Bible, have it in us, um, and, and just be, you know, be so familiar with it. And so I encourage you to pay attention to the reading of scriptures. Read it on your own. Well, we get to verse 14 and we have Paul's final warning to Timothy. Verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now, there's three times an Alexander was mentioned in the Bible, and it could be the same person, but Alexander was such a common name that we don't really know for sure. But apparently this Alexander was one that was in Ephesus, and he greatly resisted paul's works and you know i don't think paul is being vengeful i hope the lord just you know nails him i think what paul was mainly concerned with was that what alexander was doing was troubling the faith of other people around paul that paul's ministering to maybe younger christians and so paul's like you got to watch out for that guy and I, i i hope the lord pays him according to his works in other words you know that that He just, the consequences of what he's doing, that, you know, he's going to reap those things. And so Paul warns Timothy about him. And then here in verse 16, Paul gives Timothy some final information regarding his situation. Verse 16, he says, At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, when Paul was arrested there, he had his first defense, whoever he appeared before, and at that point. Paul was by himself. Now, where was Luke? I, I don't know. But there was no one there to vouch for his character. There was no one there to corroborate his testimony. And they were probably fearing suffering the same fate as Paul. And, uh, but he says, you know, may it not be charged against them. Paul didn't hold any grudges. He wasn't bitter about it. But he was forsaken of men, but not of the Lord. The Lord stood with him and strengthened him. You know, Paul had such an incredible awareness of the presence of the Lord in his life. And it was in a time of suffering alone that he knew that the Lord was standing with him. You know, nobody wants to suffer alone. I don't like suffering alone. I don't like being alone. We don't like to be forsaken by friends or family at a time of great need. But sometimes when we have all that support around us, it's kind of easy to, to depend on that support and to rely on that support. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go through a period where we have nobody to fall back on. And it's during those times when we can really sense the presence of the Lord. When He's so faithful to us. He loves us so much. And it's at those times that, that His faithfulness just shines through. And of course, none of us like to go through those situations when nobody likes to suffer. But I think it's through those things That's how we grow in our faith. The Lord allows those things so that we can go strong and we can understand that He loves us and He cares about us. And so times like this, Paul experienced when he was alone, he just saw the Lord so much greater and he sensed the Lord's presence with him. He says, "...the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that the Gentiles might hear." You know, Paul's only desire, only, his only concern was, he wasn't even concerned about his own life. His only concern was sharing the gospel, making sure that as many people as possible knew the good news about Jesus Christ. Paul was writing to the elders at Ephesus, or he actually he was speaking to the elders at Ephesus at Miletus. Before he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was, going, he was going to Jerusalem, and he met with the elders there at Miletus, and he was speaking to them. It's recorded in Acts 20. And in verse 22, he says, he's telling him, he says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But listen to what he says here. But none of these things move me nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said that before his first imprisonment and how true it was. He was going to suffer imprisonment. He was going to suffer trials and temptations all the way through. And he probably had no idea that he would end up in Rome like he did. But the Holy Spirit was preparing him for it. But his only concern was that he could share the gospel and fulfill his ministry that the Lord had given him. He says he was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Now some people think that he quite possibly had been thrown into the amphitheater to be devoured by lions and he was spared miraculously. Again, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. It could quite possibly just be referring to being delivered by Satan. Because 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, the, the devil is after you, he's after me, and he's after our marriages, and he's after our children. But you know, as a believer in Jesus Christ, for you and I, the devil, he, he, he roars a lot, but he doesn't have teeth because Jesus Christ won the victory over him. So we don't have to fear him, you know. But he does roar, and if you listen to him, you can get, you can get messed up, you can get tripped up. But he's a toothless lion, so just, just so you know that. Well, throughout all that Paul was going through, God delivered Paul, and God, he says, God, God delivered me from the mouth of the lion, and God will deliver me. That's an important thing to remember because what Paul was doing was he was, and Paul went through so many different things, shipwrecks, you know, he was stoned and left for dead. I mean, so many things happened to him. Paul looked back on God's past faithfulness and it gave him confidence for God's present faithfulness and God's future faithfulness. And that's such an important thing for us to remember. I've, I know I've said this over and over again, but it's so true. When you're facing a difficult situation Look back and look at how God's been faithful in the past. And then whatever you're facing, you know God's been faithful. There's no reason why He's not going to be faithful now. And He gives you the strength to trust Him for whatever you're facing right now. He says, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. The enemy's evil work was to silence Paul. That was the enemy's. The enemy wanted to silence Paul because so many people were coming to faith. But God strengthened Paul to preach the gospel even at his trial. Even in, even in the midst of you know, being arrested and having to defend himself, man, Paul just used that as an opportunity to share the gospel. Nothing could silence Paul. So the enemy's plan to silence Paul didn't work. The enemy's, Paul, uh, the enemy's evil work was to demoralize Paul and to make him feel forsaken and abandoned. But you know what? God stood with Paul. God was there. Yeah, everybody else left, but God is faithful. The enemy wanted to destroy Paul's faith, but God would deliver Paul from the hands of the enemy. I mean, they could destroy his tent, but they couldn't crush his faith nor his spirit. And he knew pretty soon, no matter what they do to me, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It didn't matter what they did. And with that, Paul worships the Lord. He says, "To him be glory forever and ever, Amen." He's just reflecting on God's faithfulness, and you can't help but worship God when you realize how faithful He is to you. Verse nineteen: Now he gives final greetings. He says, "Greet Prisca, Prisca and Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left sick, and uh, left in is sick. Do your utmost to come before winter." Priscilla and Aquila, those folks were longtime friends of Paul from his early days. They were Jews that had gotten kicked out of Rome because not only were Christians, you know, at this point after 64 AD, Christians were starting to get persecuted by Rome because of what Nero did. But before that, Jews were being persecuted, and the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And Priscilla and Aquila were Jews. They came, and uh, Paul met them. And uh, I don't know that they were believers at that time, but Paul, they were fellow tent makers, and they allowed Paul to stay with them. And can you imagine having Paul as a boarder in your house or something, or roommate? I mean, eventually you're going to become a Christian. You know, it's like having Billy Graham as your next-door neighbor or something. You know, eventually you're going to get saved. I mean, just face it. And, uh, and so they, they became believers at some point, and they became fellow workers for the gospel. And so you know, what's really cool is they allowed Paul to stay with them, and Paul went every week to the synagogue and started for years, and he was, and he was preaching the gospel every, every time he chant, got a chance to. And so what a ministry these guys were allowing Paul to stay with them. Well, they became believers at some point, and at some point they meet a young guy by the name of Apollos who's kind of got an understanding of scriptures, kind of got an understanding about Jesus, and he's, and he's just preaching and preaching and preaching, and, they, and they, they pull him aside. They don't embarrass him. They pull him aside, and it says they taught him the way of the Lord more. They gave him a little bit more you know, understanding, a, a right understanding of, of, of doctrine and Scriptures, and, and uh, they basically discipled Apollos in the faith. It's so cool when Christians do that, when they take other believers, maybe younger Christians or younger in age, and they disciple them. Spending time, I mean, that's really what we should be about. We should be discipling one another or being discipled, just being involved in each other's lives. And Aquila and uh, Priscilla did that. They also had a church that met in their home. And Paul even at one point says that they risked their own necks for Paul. So these guys were such dear friends, and so Paul wants to make sure that he greets Priscilla and Aquila. And then he also mentions the household of Anisiphorus. It's a very interesting thing that he mentions the household of Anisiphorus and not Anisiphorus himself. It's quite possible. In fact, it seems to indicate that Anisiphorus had died. Now, earlier in this letter, in in 2 Timothy, Peter or excuse me, Paul talks about Annisophorus, and he says he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me so this latest imprisonment Paul's in Rome, everybody is abandoning him, everybody's ashamed of him, and stuff and Annisophorus goes and he finds paul and and to 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 refresh Paul, and he found Paul and he says he wasn't ashamed of my chain well. We don't know what happened to Anisiphorus, but it could quite possibly it could co- quite possibly be that he was martyred for his faith. Because now they're greeting the household of Anisiphorus. So it's just interesting. It says, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. So as Paul was being taken under Roman guard back to Rome once more... He was accompanied by many friends. There's a group of guys that went with him. Erastus, whose name is mentioned in a couple other places, you know, as they were traveling, maybe they passed through Corinth, and Paul saw a need there and, and told Erastus to go ahead and stay there you know, in Corinth. It's, it's quite possible he says Erastus stayed in Corinth. But he says, Trophimus, I've left sick at Miletus. And if you think about it, they're traveling. The, these Roman guards have got their orders, bring Paul to Rome. And so, yeah, these people are going along with Paul, but, you know, the, those guards aren't going to wait. Okay, we'll, we'll wait for a week and see if this guy gets better, and then we'll take him. No, it's like they weren't going to wait. They had their orders to to complete, and so they probably, Paul had no choice but to leave Trophimus behind there at Miletus. It's interesting. Paul, who prayed for many people to be made well, and they miraculously were, Paul, who was able, uh, God used to raise Eutychus from the dead, he was unable to heal Trophimus. Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. He says, Do your utmost to come before winter. Eubulus greets you as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. And you can imagine Timothy's reading this letter, and you can imagine Timothy's like, I'm going to do my utmost to get to Paul before winter. And... Uh, That we have no, there's nothing in scriptures that tells us whether he made it there or not. We don't know. But you can imagine that he probably tried with all his heart to do that. And then finally we get Paul's prayer for Timothy. Verse 22. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Paul's prayer for Timothy was that the Lord Jesus Christ would be with his spirit. You know, there is no better prayer that you can pray for someone that the that Lord, Lord Jesus Christ would be in fellowship with their spirit. There's no better prayer that you can pray for them. Pray that Christ's spirit would be with them for fellowship. Pray that Christ's spirit would be there to comfort them through whatever difficult things they're going through. Pray that Christ's spirit would be with them to give them wisdom in the decisions that they have to make. Pray for Christ's wisdom to sanctify them, to make them more like Jesus. Pray for Christ's Spirit to be with them, to give them that joy. Through no matter what happens, you have that joy of the Lord. To pray that Christ's Spirit would give them, you know, all these blessings. All the blessings that you and I have, they come through Jesus Christ. They come through Him. And of course, also praying for protection. So what a blessing that you can pray to someone. I pray that Christ's spirit is with your spirit. You know, I kind of have a way of saying I pray that the Lord would be with you. You know, but but that's really what we're saying when we're saying that. And there is no better prayer that you can pray for someone. And so this is what Timothy or Paul is praying for Timothy, and then he says, "Grace be with you." And it's interesting the you there is the second person, a uh, second person. Personal pronoun. Uh, you know, I, I hated grammar in school. But as a pastor, I'm learning. I have to under. I have to learn it a little bit more. So, I'm googling. I'm googling grammar. It. You know, it's amazing. I would have never thought I would have done that. I'm like, I thought I was done with it. Uh, for you, younger guys, grammar is the one thing you always take with you in life. It's an important thing. I mean, parents are going, yeah, tell them, preach it. <laughs> no. but uh, anyways, it's a second person personal pronoun indicating more than one person. So a lot of the older manuscripts uh, have the plural form there. So it indicates that Paul, you know, he's praying for Timothy, and then he's saying, grace be with you. And you is whoever's reading the epistle. In fact, we read the epistle this morning too, right? So Paul was saying that to us this morning. Grace be with you. Grace, man, what a fitting end to this epistle, and a fitting summation of the life of Paul. Paul who, you know, he starts out his ministry, you know, I, I, I'm the least of the disciples. That's, that's pretty gracious. That's pretty humbling, you know. But as he gets later on in his life, and he's writing more letters, pretty soon he's the least of all men. I'm the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. Paul had such a sense of his own inadequacy, but he under, also understood God's grace. Because it was God's grace that enabled him to continue and to do what he's doing. And so what a fitting summary. The the man who was the persecutor of the church, the man who was responsible for the death of many Christians, and now he's just overwhelmed by God's grace. And that's a summation of his life. Grace is, you know, we have such a need for God's grace as well. Grace enables you and I to continue after failing. Grace enables you and I to love others who fail us. We, we can extend the grace to others that God's extended to us. Grace keeps us in the proper state of humility because we realize it's nothing that we deserve. We're not better than anyone else. It's just God. It's just Jesus Christ bloodshed for us. There's nothing I can do to earn it. He loves you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He loves you, plain and simple. Grace guides everything we do as Christians. In fact, and I'm going to coin a phrase from Pastor Chuck Smith, grace changes everything. And it's so true, it does. It, it should guide our lives. It, it guides everything we do as Christians. When we come to the end of this letter, like I said, this was the last letter to Timothy. And as it turns out, it was the last letter that Paul would write that we know of, that we have as a record. And according to church tradition, Paul was taken to a spot about three miles from Rome on the Ostian Road, or Ostian Road. And as that executioner's axe fell, Paul entered into the joy of his Lord. Paul passed from this life into the next life. He gave up his old tent and he received a new one. And he undoubtedly heard his master and his savior say, Well done, good and faithful servant. He finished his course. He ran the race. He gave it all to the Lord Jesus. He didn't count his life dear to him. No matter what happened, it didn't move him. He just kept pressing on. And I I hope that that's your and my story too, at the end of our life, because none of us know when that will be. But whenever it is, I pray that you and I will have such have that, that experience where we'll enter into the presence of the Lord and hear him say, man, well done, good and faithful servant. So I pray that you're encouraged this morning. And uh, so that ends uh, Second Timothy. Why don't we go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. And you can stand up and we'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for this record that Paul has left for us, that your Holy Spirit has given us, preserved down through the ages. Father, we thank you that uh, um, you preserved Paul. Lord, nothing could separate him from your love through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you preserve us, that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, that no matter what the enemy might want to do to us, no matter how they might want us to stop us or anything, Lord God, that you're standing there with us and you will deliver us. Father, I pray that we're encouraged this morning. And Father, I pray that we're also encouraged, Lord, to be more in your word and more in fellowship with you. Lord, that we would love you more and the world less, Father. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for this reminder this morning. I pray your blessing on each and every person, Lord. May you just fill them with your spirit. May you guide them this day. Lord, may they sense your presence more in a greater way this coming week, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.